Good morning, my name is Kyle Gattel, I'm a pastor here, and um, glad you've chosen to be with us, glad that you're watching online, either live or sometime down the road. Today we're asking two questions. Are you pursuing God, or is God pursuing you? Are you pursuing God, or is God pursuing you? Has there ever been a time, think back on your own life, has there ever been a time when we have not pursued God? Has there ever been a time in our lives where we have forgotten about God? Has there ever been a time in our life where we have turned our back on God? And the answer is to all three, absolutely. Absolutely. Now you turn that around. Has there ever been a time when God has not pursued you? Has there ever been a time when God has not been worried about you? Has there ever been a time where God has not, has God, where God has forgotten about you? No. No, he's never turned his back on us. He's always worried about us. He has always pursued us. That's a fact. And it's documented. And it's experienced. Today we're going to look at both questions. Are we pursuing God? Is God pursuing us? And hopefully in, in our time together, by the time we come to the end, we're going to say, yes, I want to pursue God because he is pursuing me. So let's look at this first thought. God is pursuing you. God is pursuing you. There, there's a reason why there's been some writers and people throughout history who have called God the hound of heaven because he is pursuing you. It's, it's, it's his nature. And that nature has literally been there from the very beginning. We go back to Genesis. Adam and Eve, we see this story. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? So you have this picture of Adam and Eve hiding, crouched down behind some tree or bush or whatever, and God's walking around going, Marco, Marco, Marco. He's looking for them. He's looking for them. And they're hiding from him, but he is pursuing them. But what's the context? Well, here's the context. They had messed up. They had done the one thing, the only thing that God said, don't do. There's the tree. Don't eat from that tree. Every place else in this garden, you're good to go. Everything else you can eat doesn't matter, right? They had all this stuff to do, all these places they could have gone, and they chose to do the one thing that he said not to do. 
They messed up. And yet God was pursuing them. He was looking for them. Perhaps another Old Testament character you've heard before, his name is Abraham. Before he was Abraham, his name was Abram. And there's a place, Genesis chapter 14, where Abram at this time has, has this meeting with Melchizedek. And this, is, this goes back to where 10%, he gave Melchizedek 10% of, of his, of, as, as an offering. And then Abram make, uh, comes up to a guy named the king of Sodom. And the king of Sodom, you look at the story, it's sort of, it's sort of interesting, but you know, not, I'm not going to read the whole thing. But the king of Sodom comes up to Abraham and basically tells Abraham, take my possessions. Take all my possessions and don't harm my people. Let me keep my people, something like that. And Abram basically said to the king of Sodom, hey, look, I don't want people talking that I got rich off of you. So he made a choice not to take advantage of the king of Sodom. Not to take anything financially from the king of Sodom. And then we find this verse right after this in Genesis 15.1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. And the rest of that chapter is when God tells Abram, hey, you're going to be the father of many nations. Look at the stars. Count, can you count them? No, I can't. That's how many descendants you're going to have. So in that same context, God says, by the way, you're finally going to be a father to many nations. Perhaps you've heard of a guy named Moses. Moses, anybody ever heard of him? Okay. Perhaps you've seen Yule Brenner and Charlton Heston. Maybe that's your reference for, for Moses. Anyway, so Moses grew up in Egypt. So literally he was part, I mean, he was an Egyptian for all practical purposes. He was raised that way. He saw a fellow, quote-unquote, Egyptian harming an Israelite, and he killed that Egyptian. Then he fled for his life. He went to a place called Midian to escape punishment, to escape anything, just get, get out. And it was in Midian that we find the burning bush story. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 4 and 6, when the Lord saw that he, Moses, had gone over to look at this burning bush, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here he is. No, he's, he said, here I am. Right? The southern gospel, if I'd write, write it, I would say, here he is. I'm not here. That's probably what we'd say. Anyway, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. God pursued Moses from Egypt all the way to Midian. There's another character in the Old Testament. His name is Elijah. Some of you may have remembered the name Elijah. He's a prophet. A lot of people love naming their children after this man. Elijah stood up to the false prophets of, of Ahab. Basically, they were prophets of Baal too, but Ahab was sort of the one in charge. 
Elijah stood up to him. And so it was Elijah plus all these other false prophets. It's one against many. And in the story, basically God wipes out the false prophets. He obliterates them. They are, he wiped them off the face of the earth. Ahab's wife Jezebel wasn't really too happy about this, so she basically put a bounty on Elijah's head. She wanted him dead. And Elijah ran. He ran. Had this wonderful victory. God was on his side. God showed himself strong to Elijah. And then Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you, sucker. And he left. He was scared. We pick up this story in 1 Kings 19.4. While he himself went into a day's journey to the wilderness, he came, Elijah came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. God had just done this mighty thing. And now Elijah's ready to give up his life. Went from a high-high now to a low-low. Verse 9 says, There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And then he basically brought him out of the cave and said, Do you hear me in the wind? All this other stuff. Anyway, finally, when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? A still small voice is finally when he heard God. But the point is, God pursued Elijah. And an interesting story that many of us, if we have any growing up in the church peripheral or not, we've heard of the story of Jonah. Pretty popular story. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. The Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. So here we see God pursuing Jonah when Jonah didn't want to have anything to do with God. Jonah literally ran opposite of where God wanted him to go, and yet God still pursued him. So Adam and Eve... Moses, Abraham, Jonah, Elijah, all different people, all different scenarios. But one common thread run through, ran through all of these stories. God pursued them. God pursued them all. It didn't matter what the person thought. It didn't matter what the person did or didn't do. It didn't matter if their actions were good or bad. God pursued. God pursued. Even when you do the right thing. Did you notice that? Even when you do the right thing, God pursued. Abraham, he did the right thing. God pursued him and blessed him. Adam and Eve, Moses, messed up big time. God pursued. Maybe that's where many of us are today. We're in one of these circumstances similar 
where, where we've messed up, we've been doing good, or we were like Elijah, we've done a little bit of both. And we're here today because of, in, in some form or fashion, God has pursued us. That's, that's why we're in this place. That's why we're watching right now. That God has pursued us. Now, is this really seriously all just about God pursuing us? Is there a part that we play? Yeah. Yeah, there is. Because in God's pursuit of us, there is something, some part we play, and that's our response. And our response is we pursue God. We pursue God. Now, go back to Jonah. When you think of Jonah's case, why did he pursue God? Dude was in trouble. Jonah was in trouble. Man, he he was really down in the mouth. Is there such thing as dad and granddad joke? That would be both of those, right? Right? That would be both of those, right? Jonah 2, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. And see, here's the principle. Here's the principle. When God is pursuing us, and God is pursuing us, when he's pursuing us, and we finally stop, turn around, he's there. He's there. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. You know, I think Jesus really summed up this, this idea of God pursuing us and us pursuing God the best when, when he gave us this, this really theme that, that I want you to catch. He said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. I want you to understand what we're talking about here. Because we are created in the image of God. Go back to Genesis. We are created in the image of God, which means there's something built into us that God wants to connect with. It, it's, sort of, it's, it's a hardwired thing because creator or creation. It, it's, it's within his nature to want to connect with his creation. Now, many of us have actually heard of the uh, the, the potter and the pottery, right? Think the, the clay, the potter and the clay. We've heard that analogy. That was an Old Testament analogy that's, that gives a picture of, okay, God is, is the potter. We are the clay. He molds us and, and all this stuff. And, and we get that. And that's the, the idea of creator, the potter, and the creation, the clay. And when we understand that, we get that. But... That's not the whole picture. Because that's not the only analogy. Because, in fact, the, the best description for you and me is, is really not creator and creation. The best description is father-child. Because that's the word Jesus used. He used father That's a whole lot different level 
than a creator and creation. Because of those of us in, in this room and watching that are they're thinking about that, that simple parent-child relationship, we know what it's like to have and want that connection with our kid or kids. We know what it's like. We want to have that connection with them. And, and it really doesn't matter what they have done what they've neglected to do. It doesn't matter the choices they have made, the choices they are currently making. We still want that connection. Last night at my house, there were six children under the age of three. I did not do it by myself. Their parents were with them, all right? Fortunately, all their parents were with them. And yes, it was noisy. It was loud. There was a lot of crying by the parents. No. <laughs> there was some crying with the kids off and on all night. And, and in the nature of the meal, with all the kids sitting there just having a good time with their meal, there was food everywhere on the floor. I didn't care because I got a dog. I don't need a vacuum cleaner. I got a dog. So I just, I released the hounds and, and, and cleaned it up, right? But as I thought about that gathering last night of, of these six children, you know something they all had in common? All six of them actually stood in this location with their parents right down here and were baptized. And, and I thought, in that baptism, not many of you have been there for the baptism. What, what do we remind you of in that baptism? Because that's, that's a sign of God's prevenient grace, the grace that goes before. What do we say? We say God is going to pursue those children. In that baptism, we're saying God is going to pursue those children from this point forward. Until one day when each one of those kids makes a declaration that I believe and accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. We, we claim that. We claim that. We claim that in that moment, we are saying God is going to draw them to himself. Over the next days and years and months, God's going to draw them to himself. To the point when then they will start pursuing God on their own. Why did God set this, this whole thing in motion? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God pursues us to save us. And we pursue God in order to accept that salvation. You know, we have all these examples of God pursuing in the Old Testament, but really the culmination of that pursuit is when he came as one of us. When he came to this earth, Emmanuel, God with us, to be able to be on our own turf, to look us face to face, eye to eye, to be like one of us. 
And Jesus said, because God has pursued you, because God has given his son for you, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's pursuing God. You're seeking God first. And you're seeking God, and Jesus mentions this in other places, seek God with everything you got. You pursue God with all your your heart, soul, mind, and strength, all of it. You pursue God. Jeremiah sort of puts this all into into, one easy-to-understand idea in Jeremiah 29. And and the the background of this is Israelites messed up, just totally messed up, and God said, I'm done with you guys, and the nation of Babylon held them in captivity for 70 years. If you remember the story, they took all the wonderfully bright people out of Israel, took them to Babylon, and were holding, holding them for 70 years. And the Lord, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, quote-unquote, in Babylon, I will come to you. God pursues. God pursues. And fulfill my, God promised, my good promise to bring you back to this place, Israel. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. We pursue God, and I'll be found by you, and I will be found by you. I love what A.W. Tozer actually says. To find God and pursue God is the soul's paradox of love. To find God and pursue God is the soul's paradox of love. This idea of, of, of being pursued and then pursuing at the same time is really not unique to this, this God and us analogy, right? That it's, it's, we've experienced this before. Some of us experience it every day. If you're you're in a relationship with someone, you're in love, what do you do? When you're in love, you pursue. And you're relentless, relentless in your pursuit of the other person when you're in love. And when we get married, we should continue to pursue. And if we don't, normally... The marriage dissolves. That's not unlike our pursuing God. All right? So we get to that moment of recognizing I'm a sinful person. I've, I've disobeyed. I've, I've not paid attention to God. I've forgotten about God. I have put him on the back burner. I've actually turned away, and now I'm turning back to God. When we actually do that, we recognize that I'm in need of a Savior. We make that confession, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. And we have this relationship with God, so we have been pursued by God Then, in response. Then we start pursuing God, but what happens? What happens over time, over years? We, not, we don't really pursue God like we used to. We have other interests. We have other hobbies. 
We have other people. We're pursuing that. We're pursuing them. But here's the awesome thing. Is that while we're pursuing those other interests and we're pursuing those other hobbies and we're pursuing those other people, God is still pursuing us. Are you pursuing God or is God pursuing you? You know, our country is, is really moving into a direction where people, majority of our people, will not be pursuing God. In fact, when asked the question, uh, we're going to get to the point where 50% in the next few years will say they do not have any religious affiliation at all. In other words, they're, they're not seeking and pursuing any type of God. They're going to say, I have no religion. We call them the nuns, if you look at the statistics from Barna and people like that, N-O-N-E-S. They're the nuns. But, but, but what does this have to do with us? All right. We can't control what people see and hear and say in social media or, or even in the news. But what can we control? What can we do? We can let our spouse, we can let our children, we can let our co-workers, we can let our family, we can let our community, we can let our ball teams, we can uh, let our friends, our fraternity, sorority, our social club people see one person. One person pursuing God with passion, integrity, and love. Are you pursuing God or is God pursuing you? Yes. That's what you want to answer. Yes to both. Yes, God is pursuing me, and yes, I am pursuing God, but more times than not, we live our lives when only God is pursuing us. So may our prayer be the psalmist's prayer in, verse 40, in chapter 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for you. For the living God, when can I go and meet with God?